This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's the Redman Weekly Podcast. We've got some incredible content for you this week. We have got Liverpool legend Jamie Carragher. We've got a good old chat on whether United are getting things as right as they're trying to portray in the media. Neil Jones talks about Liverpool's academy prospects and, of course, on the back of Liverpool's big 4-1 win over Luton. There's a nice little chunk on that as well. But yes, we kick things off. Chris Pajak, the man, the legend, sat down with Jamie Carragher, the man, the legend, to discuss the potential of Zabi Alonso as Liverpool's next manager. It feels like everyone wants the next big thing at the moment, like Nagelsmann from five years ago or something like that. And he should probably still be in with a shout as well, to be fair. He's only... Is he 36 or no, he's 39 now, is he, or something like that? Nagelsmann, like, did an incredible job at Bayern Munich, got off for Tuchel for no reason. I think they were in the quarters of the Champions League, and they them off and that, didn't they, which was yeah. mental. So there's going to be managers like that who are going to be linked as well, but the standout, as you mentioned, is is Zabi Alonso because of the job that he's doing at, at Bayer Leverkusen at the moment. Like, I mean, when you played with him, did you ever get an inkling of, like, who might continue in sport afterwards and be a manager or did he ever come across like he would be a manager? Yeah, yeah, did I he, think yeah? so. Me and him used to speak about football a lot and you could tell when he first came in. Uh, he, he, he got football. You've got to re- the, the reason me and him, I, say, I wouldn't say got football, but I always think there's a little thing, players who lack pace, you've got to think about the game more. Mm. It makes you think, you've got to get yourself out of situations, you've got to make sure you don't find yourself in certain situations. And Chabby was one of them. He, he, he couldn't run, but he was a thinker on the game. Obviously, he was a great passer of the ball, but he was always thinking about the game. And I, I always remember that when he signed for us, he missed, he missed the first couple of games of the season. I'm just trying to think, was his first game at Bolton or did he come in after the Bolton game? We played away at Bolton early on under Rafa. Was it 1-0 with Fowler scoring? No, we got beat. Oh, you got beat. No, Fowler wasn't playing. This is Rafa's first. I think oh, he, that might have been his. Sorry. I don't know if it was debut, but I remember Rafa saying, and don't forget, Shabby was only 22. We got this player coming. I think he's a fantastic player. Uh, he's already spoke about where he thinks the team can improve or the tactical things. And I'm reading this and thinking, who the fuck else do you think he is? <laughs> 22 coming <laughs> over from Spain, <laughs> telling us where we're going wrong. Look, let's see you in the share first. Uh, but he was, he was, he was that type. Meaning, I used to speak a lot about this, the, you know, the Spanish team with him, and he, he was, he wasn't really in the Spain team. It was hard for him to get into it initially because of obviously Xavi and Iniesta and people like that. So, 
So he used to speak a lot about football. So he was always someone who was interested in football. Did he watch a lot of football? You were known for yeah. watching everything, weren't you? Yeah. He did watch a lot of football. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I remember thinking, oh, he probably watch as much football as me, maybe more. I remember him at the time, uh, for, Nottingham Forest were in the championship when we were there, and they had a player called uh, Commons. He was a good midfield player, Chris Commons, I think his name. No, he was a good player for them. I remember him sort of saying he liked him and watched him. I was thinking, he's a player in the championship. You know, how was he sort of seeing that or whatever? And that always stuck in my head. Uh, within that, he, you know, he obviously watched a lot of football. I think his dad, was his dad a manager? or a, His dad was a player, definitely, but I think his dad might have been a manager as well. So I think he was always going to... He was one of them, I think, people looked at and think he's got his head screwed on. Did he ever come across like a leader? Because yeah. he, was, he was young when he was at Liverpool, yeah. wasn't he, as well, so... He wasn't someone who spoke that much on the pitch. He spoke a little bit, but I think it was more by example. He trained really well. Uh, he always played for the team. It wasn't about just showing how good he was. And he was always a, you know, a, a, you know, a thinker man's footballer, I'd say. I think a lot of people always felt I would become a manager, but I was also quite emotional on the pitch, you know, aggressive on the pitch. And, he was probably a lot calmer. Really? Yeah. You, oh, right, you, okay. Did you think that? Yeah. Uh, whereas I actually think now, I think it is a big part of sort of being a manager now is not, you know, keeping your emotions in control. And listen, we well, let them out at the right places yeah, as well. We've probably got a manager who people will say was the opposite, but he I, knows when to use it. Exactly. And, and I think Jürgen, he gets emotion on the side of the pitch, but I think he doesn't get emotional in making his decisions. That's what I go back to what I mentioned earlier is that Jürgen Proves was wrong at times when we're all screaming and shouting for something. He's a bit like, he's a lot more level-headed, he's a lot more, no. We don't need that, we've got him coming through. He's back from injury, it would be fine. We don't need a player in that position. He's not sort of like, well, let, let, let's buy loads of players. Uh, so I think he's very calm at the right moment, Jürgen. And I think Shabby, I don't really know too much as a manager, but obviously the, the three teams he's, he's managed. Uh, obviously the youth team at Real Madrid, Real, uh, the Sociedad B. And now we're by Leverkusen. I've watched them, but uh, so I haven't seen too many of his interviews. But only known his character, I can imagine he's he's very sort of cool, calm, and collected. Does it when you look at like his career in the whole, and now the job that he's doing over at Bayern and stuff? Do you look at it and think oh, that's not a typically Spanish team? Because like I don't know, I get the sense that like when I watch watch Zabi and saw him for Real Madrid, that he'd probably be a little bit more ticky tacker. But he seems to have taken all the elements of all the leagues that he's played in and sort of does it feel like he's moulded them all together well you think of the influences he's had the leagues he's played in but the influences he's probably had if you think of like so the best Pep, sort of four or five managers Ancelotti. of the last 10, 15, 20 years he's he's been managed by them hasn't he so that's a great influence uh, I, I, I do know Pep is his number one I remember asking him what sort of about Pep and Jose because almost like contrasting styles and he loved Jose but he just, he, he did, I remember when I did an interview with him sort of saying he just felt Pep, just, Pep just had that little bit, whatever. And then looking at the stats, watching Bayer Leverkusen play, it is more Pep it's ball than dominant. probably yeah. Jürgen Klopp. Yeah. Really makes a lot of passes, short passes. So, uh, you know, if he was to come in, probably the style would change slightly, but, you know, he knows what sort of Liverpool fans want, and once that energy in the crowd gets going, if he was to become the manager, I, I think it, uh, you know, I think it would be a match made in heaven. But I can't believe that Liverpool wouldn't want him mm. to replace Jurgen Klopp. 
I think the only thing is if, if, if Xabi Alonso wants to stay at Leverkusen, wants to take them into the Champions League, wants to feel like he'd need more experience. Because that is the one thing, he's, he's, he's in his first top, he's 18 months in. I think someone said, you, I read somebody, he's basically managed 60 games or 60, 70 games at the top level, which in an ideal way, it's probably not what you'd want. But the situation that we, fi- uh, we find ourselves and where we find, or everybody finds themselves in terms of new managers on the scene, it is the standout candidate, but it doesn't mean he's going to be the Liverpool manager. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, obviously, you know, you've done your research on him, of course, you have um, the Monday Night Footy segment showed that, but like, it, it, do you think there's, what we're seeing in English football is evolving in terms of like, obviously you've got Pep Guardiola's sides who have changed everything in the way that they play. I'm not even talking about the other stuff. It, what they do on the pitch is incredible. Obviously, Arteta looks like he's a very, very good coach. He's got them brilliant, one of the best defences in the league at the moment. So hard to play through and break down. Do you think it almost Liverpool might need with this to change and go a little bit more? We need to be able to just beat these low box sides all the time. And the way to do that isn't vertical, quick passing from deep to forwards, which is what Jürgen Klopp's philosophy is. Is it a time where you think Liverpool can get better if they yeah. make the right appointments? I'm going to say this, I mean, we love, we don't win everything, do we? You know, I actually think this team should have won a lot more. I think we've been quite unlucky on last days of, you know, Premier Leagues or, or Champions League finals, but, you know, other managers do win things. You know, we've got to accept that. Uh, and I also think for the players who've been so used to Jürgen for so long, sometimes a slight change might be great, you know, something different and a slightly new idea. And I think that would come in with whoever you bring in. Uh, so, no, I'm, I'm, I was devastated when the news came that morning. But the longer the day went on the next few days I was thinking about, it, I was almost a little bit excited about, well, I wonder what's new and, and what could come in and, and what could happen, where could you take this team, really? So, yeah, it was uh, probably different emotions really through the day about, you know, when the news came through. But there's no reason why we can't get better. Yes, very good to have Carragher back involved. He's also got a preview uh, for the League Cup final this weekend going out as two exclusive videos with him over on Redman Plus. So do go and check those out. Um, moving things forward, the Biased Football Podcast this week was an absolute riot. Manchester United, of course, now uh, in the Jim Ratcliffe, Ineos era. It looks like they're starting to get their act together, but are they really? Um, okay, let's talk Manchester United. Boo. Um, they seem to be in good form, which is really annoying. I mean, mm. Luton absolutely battered them after going two goals down, um, and I was a bit disappointed they didn't get something more from that. But anyway, off the pitch, Dan Club, um, yeah. Newcastle have placed Dan Ashworth on gardening leave, mm-hmm. uh, having secured Omar Barada from City as uh, the, the former COO. They're now moving for Newcastle Sporting Director. We've talked about him on this show in the past because obviously he was at Brighton. He was at the FA as well before that. Obviously seen quite in quite favourable terms. If you know, I don't know. Do we feel like this is Man United getting their act together finally? Unfortunately, yeah, I think it might be. Um, they are two. If the Dan Ashworth one um, actually happens, if it comes to fruition, they're two very impressive, very shrewd appointments. Um, Dan Ashworth is one of the most highly regarded in that particular sphere. Uh, the conversations I've had around our new sporting director and our search for one, he crops up time and time again as yeah. you know, Liverpool would be could do worse and look at Dan Ashworth essentially because he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Um, <laughs> interesting that he's shown to lose the Newcastle, sorry, to leave the Newcastle project. What that says about them. 
is a different question altogether, essentially. But yeah, um, the law of Manchester United clearly still exists. So certainly now Jim Ratcliffe walked through the door there. But unfortunately, like I say, it is, you know, the early signs are that he does know what he's doing. He is getting the right people in place because Dan Ashworth is brilliant at what he does. He really is. And there is a danger that Manchester United could start making much smarter decisions in the transfer market and in the round as well because there aren't really many more better operators than Dan Ashworth. He's just all Michael Edwards-esque in yeah. that sort of uh, that sort of scope. Yeah, smart moves. Like it's picking up a guy who's to be banned though. for a year for gambling. It's still um, Manchester United. They could make him the next manager. They've done that before. <laughs> I've seen that Newcastle locked him out of all their laptops and their computer systems this morning. That was quite funny. Because obviously he decided to leave, didn't he? he it was his decision. Just Is it two-year garden leave? Is that right? Yeah, they put him on garden leave now for two years. But he... So they won 20 mil for him? Yeah. Yeah, 20 mil. I mean, it's mad, isn't it, when you consider only football? Because we we take this for granted as a thing about, like, if you want someone to come and work for you, you have to pay your, tra- your transfer fee. Like, imagine if, like, you, were, you worked in a shop and you wanted to go and work for another shop or you worked in one pub and you wanted to work for another pub. You just, go, <laughs> just go and work for them. Like, I mean, you just go, ah, oh, fine, I'm done with this. They want, um, is it Sam Jewell? From I think Paul's son from Brighton as well. I think the head of recruitment down there. They want him as well. So again, I mean, you can't really go far wrong just to look at Brighton and say who's doing the backroom well, business there this, and just but, go and take it. But this is interesting for me, and I want to get anyone who wants to jump on this. Please feel free to. Is this not just the most obvious appointment they could make? Like, if you you're thinking about, I mean, because obviously they've got a connection with him because there's, there's there's talk of that or an existing connection um, from this time at the FA. I forget the name of the guy, but it'll, it'll be in there somewhere. Um, everyone knows that Brighton were brilliant, and they're they're the ones who've been the most that had the biggest success. Like you know, the, the the money they've generated from buying relative unknowns from South America and then selling them on for, for loads and loads and loads of millions is, is obviously everyone's aware of that. I don't know. It feels this is me hoping that Man United aren't getting it right. By the mm. way, so this is my spin on this, but it it's got a little bit of. It all makes sense, and it's a lot smarter than what United have been doing in recent years. It's better than making Darren Fletcher a director of football, without a shadow of a doubt. But it's a bit like when Spain won the Euros in the World Cup, and everyone wanted, and Barcelona were obviously doing well under Pep, and everyone went tiki taka. That's the one for us. Let's get some. Let's get some passing football involved. But by the time you've gone and done something, you've missed the. You've missed the the window. You have, on it. And I think the other thing is. I think it's much easier to do it at Brighton. Yes, I, I think you can. I think you can make mistakes because, right, quite rightfully, they they haven't made many mistakes and they've done brilliantly. But will those players be given? Will, <laughs> will those players be given and afforded the same time and opportunity as at Brighton? Probably not. Mm-hmm. If they don't hit the ground running straight away, you don't get back up to winning league titles, which is ultimately what they want quickly then it can actually all go horribly wrong for them still. Yeah. Um, it's like Liverpool. It's like, look, we like, I think, to look at them in a European league. We know about the players when they're over in Brazil or Argentina or anything like that, but we're not sure whether they translate to the Premier League. Mm. So they go and they get a little bit more experience in Portugal over the last few years, and we pick them up from there. And yeah, we do pay over the odds from what it was two years before, but they're also a better player than what they were two years before. Yeah. Like, so it's a chicken and the egg thing. Can you give them the time to become the player? And can you afford to make those mistakes? Mm. Now they do I think they do it in a in a more of a Chelsea way. Like they bring them in younger and they hide them for a little bit and then all of a sudden in a few years' time, that's the way that Manchester United win. Yeah. Doing that is the way that Liverpool win doing that, but we're already doing that. You know, Manchester United just aren't, and it feels to me like 
I always go back to the restaurants and stuff like that. Like when you're an independent restaurant and pulled pork becomes popular, you just throw on the fucking menu. Yeah. But when you when you weather spoons, it takes fucking ages to get yeah. pulled pork on the menu, and yeah. it's not even popular by the time you've yeah. got it on the frigging menu. Yeah. And that's what it feels like with yeah. the type of it's football. Gin fuck everyone. Are we all drink rum now. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah. United are playing catch up of 10, 15 years to Liverpool and Manchester City. Yes, they're getting their act together, but we'll move on to the next thing, and they'll yeah. still be like. Oh, what? Really? We've just got good at this. Yeah, mm. yeah. Has he been a ripper-run success at Newcastle? I, don't I, mean, know. I mean, the majority of his transfers have been pretty well thought out. Bruno Gimaraes. What about Sandro? Yeah. Well, yeah, he's, yeah, he's gambling man. Yeah, maybe they didn't do his homework quite so well on that one, it's fair to say. But <laughs> they've, uh, had, they've added that to the form now, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> have you got any pending <laughs> yeah, suspensions yeah, yeah. due to, uh, to yeah, gambling? There. What is interesting about it is we've all sort of referenced Brighton, the model, and the, what he had to work and his limitations down there, and what he did a very good job doing. He was very much the gold standard. But it was, was a very different, different job, a different sort of... Um, description we had to go by because they were paying no money whatsoever for anyone whereas Man United to play premium for almost all their transfers so it is going to be slightly different because they were picking up these unearthed gems like 3-4 million I don't see United doing that I think they're still going to be shopping in a very different market and also Man United go to you and go we want your player and they add 20 million anyway well no exactly that's what I mean yeah. and also there's expectations on wages and stuff they've still got to unpick all of that shit as well and look you've got to they'll rest it under control at some point because money buys you opportunity to correct mistakes is is, is mm. the thing as well it's a much high pressure stakes that they're, they're on the line at Manchester United because of obviously the, the eyes on them and everything that they do but yeah you can't afford to make mistakes but I don't know it's just yeah it's probably fine and it's definitely more joined up thinking than we've seen from them for a very yeah, long time thing, yeah. um, but I it's a bit like you know, like going and building your squad of lads who've not made it or, or you know, weren't the best player at Real Madrid and they weren't the best player at Bayern Munich and they weren't the best player at Juventus. Good players and they might have just found their chances stunted because of the stars or whatever there. But sometimes it's just because you didn't have what it took to be to be above you. Now, look, his career path is, is you know, in terms of uh, Dan Ashworth is leading this way and Omar mm-hmm. Barada, you know, has obviously been a, a pivotal member at, at Man City. But, yeah, hope, yeah. let's hope they fucked it. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Yeah, but like I say, unfortunately, as you allude to, there it does feel like they are starting to get their act together and appoint the right people at the very least. Because I think mean, just think about Newcastle's recruitment. I think in the whole, it's been pretty good. Like Sven Botman, good signing. Like I say Bruno Gimenez, good. Alexander Isak, brilliant signing. I would say so. I think yeah. largely they've done pretty well under him. Also, I mean, you'd rather go with the absolute dead obvious than the absolute crap that they have been pulling. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. like, just actually try and keep it simple. And, well, the and maybe... policy's been has he met Eric Ten Hag? <laughs> yes, yes. Him, yeah. So maybe thinking um, outside that box might yeah. help. And also, you know, you, you look at the the dead obvious. I think Xabi Alonso is a dead obvious. Like, is he's just the instant replacement that everyone thinks yeah. of does that mean it could go incorrectly I mean I, I mean, not you're, you're right in so much as at the top it becomes more obvious because the pool that you're shopping in yeah. is much smaller isn't it yeah. so you've got more known sort of entities but yeah I don't know I, it's I, that's it, my speculation on this is more that that if you were if you were Manchester United and you were looking around at who you could poach within driving distance or whatever like <laughs> I mean that's that's who you'd be going for. There's no mm. one else in the in the league you'd necessarily be 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 pulling up trees for. It's interesting that he's chosen to to, to do it though. You know, yeah. He's not even been there. He's been there two years. I think. In fact, is it about this time two, two years, years ago, ago that he that he did? He, he left Brighton in very similar circumstances. A mm. bit of a shock 
departure from there to be living Brighton we're really expecting it and likewise Newcastle because no Eddie Howe spoke about it the other day he was like he sort of references to being similar to transfer stuff he's like oh, we haven't heard anything like as far as we know he's quite happy and all of a sudden he's upsticked and left so it is interesting like I say what it says about Newcastle's project and what they're up to is another question and maybe he feels a little bit hamstrung by the FFP because we all expected or the profit and sustainability <coughs> we all expected Newcastle to be spending lavishly and it hasn't really come to fruition so maybe sees an opportunity to do a little bit more at Man United and the thing is as well you know at the moment their their mission is to actually balance the books isn't it their mission isn't isn't so much hence the 20 million for them Oh yeah, no, no yeah, absolutely exactly, that. Yeah, yeah it, it, you know, but they they're gonna have to sell some of their good lads to be able to get back up to where they are. That Newcastle squad is wildly imbalanced as a result of how they've been, how they've had to build it so far. So he's probably not gonna get to do. They're gonna have to take a step backwards to take a step forwards. So actually, it means his career probably stagnating a bit to yeah. be able to do to do that. So also, I don't think they've got the right manager anyway, United. No, absolutely uh, not. You can get the right behind the scenes in, but you still need to be able to pick the right manager. But it is following, isn't it? You feel like if you're going to get rid of the manager, then the best thing you can do first and foremost, get your get your chief executive in place, get your director of football, and then make your decision on who, you, who your manager's going to be. I mean, something Liverpool don't seem to have boxed just yet either. You know, we're still waiting on the, on the decision on who's going to be that job. So on paper, I think it looks clever from United. I'm just hoping that it remains very Manchester United-ish in that it's shit. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It was me on Hosting Duties with Jano Insight with Neil Jones this week and of course a Liverpool in the midst of an, an injury crisis I thought it was interesting to get Neil who is an expert on Liverpool's under-21s and academy players to pull out a few names and talk about them in depth uh, one in particular which is, is aged absolutely spectacularly uh, is his insight into Jaden Dans who we saw get his debut against Luton have a listen to this 
I think what has been another th- another theme is that the players that are, who get the unexpected opportunity, they, they tend to take it. There's not been many this season where you've gone, well, he came in and he, he just weren't up to it. The only one yeah. I would really think of would maybe be a couple of the lads in the Europa League, maybe Luke Chambers, for yeah. example, who, who just looked like, okay, yeah, he needs a loan. And it was almost confirmed. Ben Doak, to a degree, sort of early in the season, it was a bit like, mm, okay, maybe he needs a little bit more development time. But really, you know, Bobby Clark's done well. James McConnell's done well when he's had to play. Jarrell Quans has done well. Joe Gomez has done well when he's had to play somewhere else. Harvey Elliott's done well wherever he's, he's had an opportunity. You know, there's a couple of other younger players knocking around the, the 21s well, at the we, moment should we, should we just jump ahead and do that then because yeah, I, think yeah. it's a, I think it's a, a, a rather than circle back to it obviously I, 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 you're right you know, Liverpool have got a, a number of players out they've had you know they've had consistent sort of injury issues throughout the season but at no point is it capsized things and yeah. what we've seen actually because of the Europa League and also I, I think a clear statement of intent in pre-season was a number of players who've been pushed yeah. who they feel already have been pushed towards the first team so the question is and I've heard you mention a couple of names already Ready, but we can we can we can say them again if needs be. Yeah. But you know, there's gonna we're gonna see more of these young players in the next couple of weeks because we've been seeing them over the last few weeks making the yeah. bench up already. I think we'll certainly see them against Southampton in in the in the FA Cup, if if not in the squad in the team. Yeah. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, there's. I mean, you don't really want to be Nottingham Forest away, but but if you can get. A decent performance in the, against Luton in the first half, first hour, you you can't get in a position where you might be able to to cut your cloth. I mean, it's a you know that's the best case scenario, of course. You, I don't think we'll be seeing too many of them coming on in the in the Carabao Cup final or starting the Carabao Cup final because it just isn't it just isn't sort of that kind of game. You, you don't want to be, you know, I mean, Jürgen's not beyond it, but you don't want to be saying to James Andrews, "Do you fancy your debut? Do you want do you want to go and make your debut at Wembley?" And you know, it's 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 unreasonable to, to do that to a young player but we did see um, Clark and of course Conor Bradley who are now yeah. raving as a first yeah. team Liverpool player came on against Arsenal away in the in, in the yeah. FA Cup so it's not outside and, it was possible and Fulham in the, in the semi as well yeah. Clark came on well I suppose it's, look so what my point is this you've got Quanta who's now feels like an established first teamer even though it's only been six weeks feels like Bradley's yeah, effectively yeah. like an established first teamer for Liverpool is it Bobby Clark who's the obvious next one and is there anyone else around that? Yeah, I think Bobby, uh, I mean, you look at the ones who've been training pretty much all season with the first team. So Bobby has, has had an injury, but he, st- he had pre-season with the team, obviously. And then and then as soon as he came back, he was pretty quickly actually back into the first team pitch. I think he was, I think he returned on the weekend, on the Sunday and he was on the bench on the Wednesday. So yeah, Bobby, Bobby Clark most definitely is, is in that mix. I think Kate Gordon would be one Obviously, A, his, his talent, the fact that he's been around the first team previously, but also the way he plays, obviously, there's the, he's, he's a wide player, so you know he's, he's more possible as a, as a substitute in, in a game or you know someone who, who brings something a bit different. And then James McConnell, obviously, who, who um, really impressive, the, the one start that he's had against Norwich in the Cup. Um, possibly man of the match, wasn't he? I think, I think Bradley ended up taking it but it could easily have been McConnell um, so those three would be there I think it's interesting you heard Klopp talk about Jaden Dans and Lewis Kumas he name checked those two uh, I think it was after that Norwich game he, he, he said you know we've got these guys around us they've both been in excellent form this season Kumas you know Dan saw a little bit of him pre-season didn't we yeah yeah Kumas yeah he did he played over in um, in Germany I went over and he played Karlsruhe uh, he was on the bench 
in the in the league uh, Burnley last weekend and then played on the on the Sunday for the um, for the twenty ones. He's he's a he's obviously very young. He's still you know he's he's actually kind of he's young for the under twenty ones at this moment in time. But he's he is a player who who has got Liverpool qualities about him. You know he he's not just a not just a sort of a a bully at under 18s level who scores loads of goals. He actually he actually does a lot of work, you know, in the game that you see and think, well, okay, that's a that's a proper sort of all round centre forward. Dan's obviously catching the eye with his goals um, this season. Talk to me a little bit about him because I must admit he's not he's not. Really Dan's, yeah, so he oh, Neil Dan's is, is his father who is a midfielder who played many games, you know, plenty in the Premier League in, in the football league for Birmingham, Blackburn, Crystal Palace. Um, he, he was sort of a diminutive kind of central midfield player. Jaden's a, a tall, strong, fast centre forward. Um, Is that his mum's side? <laughs> I'm guessing so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously he's a local lad who, who's been with the club since he was, you know, day dot really. And he he came sort of around at the, the 18 setup last season. And you saw him and thought, yeah, he's got a bit about him. You know, I actually remember watching a couple of games last season, sort of springtime, and it wasn't a wasn't a classic under 18 side. It was a little bit of a sort of one of those ones towards the end of the season where a lot of the, the ones have been moved up or some have gone on loan or some are injured, or, you know, and you sort of end up with this mishmash team. And he was the one player I thought Dan's he thought, okay, that's that's interesting. And he's come back this season. He looks a couple of inches taller, a little bit wider. I think he's not when when he plays at that level, there are times when he, the ball goes up to him and he looks a bit like something like Dominic Calvert Lewin, where, where he's like he's got a real leap on him. He's you know he's sort of he's physically strong. He's also got runs in behind as well. So I've, I've heard him talk, and I think there was an inter- interview he did last week where he said, "When I was younger, a lot of people can not compare me, but talk to me about Firmino and said, you know, you need to be a number nine. He drops in and does all these things, and then he didn't say it, but then he he almost said." But more recently, I've become a bit more like Nunes. He, you know, he didn't mention Nunes by name, but he yeah. said, "But I've, I've sort of learned the other side of number nine. You have to com- continually be making runs in behind. You have to, you have to stretch the the, the pitch, yeah. and then you, you know, you, you get the opportunity to do all these things. And it does show in his game. It's, look, it's 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 under 21s football, and it's under you know under 18s football. So it, it's a long way up to the first team. But he's got an awful lot of attributes about him physically, technically. You know, he can strike the ball." Um, I don't know if you saw it in the, in the youth cup recently. He scored a sort of a, a thirty-five yard with his left foot, where the keeper was a bit out of position. Then he scored a free kick with his right foot, you know, into the top corner. He's got sort of he's got ability to to hit the ball really well. He's got good aerial aerial ability. So I think he's a very interesting player. Um, they do like football pedigree as well, don't they? <laughs> yeah, there's a few, isn't it? I mean, Kumas is another one, isn't he? You know, with, with his, his father, obviously, Jason. Um, there's Cairo Figueroa, who, who's there um, at the academy as well. So, yeah, there, there are um, Bobby Clark, another, another one, of course. Just Maybe that's just the world we live in now, isn't it? Where we're getting these regens of, uh, <laughs> of players. Who, you know, wow, it's not his son. Yeah. Oh, was, it, was it Sean Wright Phillips' son, wasn't it? Playing for, for Manchester City's academy, I think. And it's wow. like, what? Sean Wright Phillips is only 21. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, I think Dan's and Kumas are both ones that, I, even, even despite this injury sort of, 
thing. I would have been thinking, okay, next this preseason, you'd yeah. probably get a good look at those two. Um, we've already had a good look at Clark. Obviously, people like Callum Scanlon, we we got to look at. Um, as I say, Chambers, who's now on loan. Can we can we talk about Kate Gordon if you don't mind? Yeah. Obviously, you know, a couple of years on from him, sort of breaking through looked massive prospect you know we're two years on now almost not quite today it'll be on that now since he played against Arsenal in the, um, yeah, the League Cup bit more final yeah. um, I'm really impressed in that one and obviously he had a torrid time with injuries it's interesting because it was a real shock to me when he was on the bench against Toulouse in the in the mm. Europa League so much in so much as like the, the Liverpool subs were warming up 20 yards in front of me and I was like is that Keiko okay yes yeah, Sam brilliant yeah. good to see him back and it told a lot that I think it looks from the outside like they're trying to remind him almost or, you know, put their arm around him and go, no, you are very much part of this. But, yeah. you know, it's been very fleeting, the glances that we've seen of him yeah. so far. Yeah, well, he scored He scored on Saturday's first goal since he came back from injury. They beat Newcastle, the 21s, um, away, and he scored K Gordon. I didn't see the game, obviously, Liverpool were playing, the first team was playing at the same time. But he's, he's had so long out and it, it was always going to take possibly the remainder of the season for him to really find, you know, his, his feet again and just who, who he is, you know. Think about it, you know, 17 to 19. And even if you're playing every week, a huge sort of peaks and troughs in, in your performance levels. Imagine it if you've missed, you know, it was like all of Michael Owen's peak. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, you know, so exactly. Yeah, some people, you know, that's their best years, isn't it? And um, he was... He was right there uh, when he when he, he got that injury. He was right in there. You know, he actually played that game. If you remember, Takumi Minamino was on the bench. You know, so it wasn't there was an element of players missing, mm-hmm. but there were senior players that could have played in that game, and he he was selected. That's how good he was. He saw he scored for the first team. You know, he's he's um, at Anfield. He made his debut in the Premier League, so he was clearly around that first team group. And remember, that was a team that again. That was a team that was going for everything yeah. at that time as well. So he's clearly very highly thought of. I watched him. As, I watched. I don't know if it was his first start, but he played in the um, the what's it called? Leasing.com, I think it's called. Is it? Oh, is it called? I can't remember. <laughs> Bristol Street Motors. That's it. <laughs> Bristol Street Motors uh, EFL Trophy. I saw him up at uh, Barrow, and he played. And there was a moment he captained the side and he played on the right and he was very tidy, very neat and looked a good, you know, you could tell he's a good footballer. And there was a moment where he got a, a big, a heavy challenge and you could almost feel, you know, the team and the staff sort of went, and he, he got up gingerly and he was taken off shortly after and I remember speaking to, to Barry after it and he said, he's all right. He said, you know, he was only ever going to do an hour, but it was sort of like, well, now he's had that, we'll, 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 cut it five minutes early so you knew he was going to have to get these things out of his, out of his, his system you know yeah. he's, he's going to have to he's going to have to trust his body he's going to have to find his fitness you know that kind of training thing it feels like he's not far away from that now he's played a lot of games he's, he's playing quite regularly he's getting 90 minutes he's scoring goals he's, he's there so I think the next step now is to see where he, where his level is you know is he is he still there has he dropped a little bit has he had to change his game does he have to you know play a different way in terms of maybe not being what he was when he was around was he was decisive in games when you watched him for under 21s he was, he was talent he had speed and all that but he, he hit the target with the shots he got into goal scoring positions he was a very kind of um, promising sort of numbers player if you, if you like so 
whether he's still that or whether he's he becomes a bit more of a sort of a um maybe he moves a bit central or he, he moves over to the other side you know I, there are still questions to answer but he's a player that has got had huge potential and I think still has got huge potential he just feels like the forgotten man at the moment yeah. because obviously I know Ben Dokes Ben Dokes came injured, in of course. but he, he really sort of exploded into the scene over the last 12 months and even you've got a lot of talk around Trey Neone coming through as well mm. there's going to come a point where if he doesn't get himself back up to that sort of level reasonably soon there's going to be other lads coming up from underneath yeah. and, and you and, know and really challenging it's ridiculous to say isn't it oh, he's 19 he's coming up to 20 you know <laughs> Time's ticking, you know. That's uh, it's, it's horrendous to say that kind of thing, but it, it's true, isn't it? You know, time waits for nobody, and like you know, Ben Doe will be thinking that now he got a bad injury at a, at a bad time, really, didn't he? Where you think oh, there's six months there of like potential game time lost and potential impact, you know, he could really have made on on the team. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But I think when you're asking about who we might see in the team on the bench in the next few weeks if some of these injuries are as bad and, or, or as, as widespread as we think or fear. Kate Gordon is definitely one of them because he's got first-team experience. He's got first-team training experience. He's of an age where, you know, he needs to be looking at first-team exposure anyway, regardless. So I think he'd be one of those ones, along with Bobby Clark, James McConnell, definitely. And yes, the Reds pulled out a... Barcelona-esque victory against Luton in the midweek uh, meaning yes we all came into the office with a spring in our step for the final word I want to talk about that little spell the Gakpo goal then because obviously there's like a there's a there's a video on, on Twitter there's a, a two minute spell mm-hmm. where both of our goals are effectively encapsulated and a lot of stuff happens in that time as well at least of all Andrew Townsend comes onto the pitch which is mad Um <laughs> Chloe, I think it was said to me post match. I had corner taken quickly vibes to it. I've got yeah, a, it I've got a, a very because and equal. I actually saw that happen in front of me because I was paying attention. I wasn't. I had no idea. Quite, how, I I thought someone had. Literally, I thought McAllister literally hit it straight in. I was that like I I just saw the ball arcing into the top corner. But actually, that had corner taken quickly vibes. But actually, I thought the game in general had a bit of Barcelona 4-0 vibes to it as well, Andy. I don't know what you thought on that. Yeah, second half, definitely, in terms of the, the atmosphere. I mean, it wasn't quite the Barcelona atmosphere, but it was certainly like, let's suck the ball in. And I've, I don't know if you've seen Rob Edwards' comments after the game where he actually comes out and says, like, second half, it was just proper Anfield. They were sucking the ball in. They suffocated us. And like he said, I've never seen a, a crowd like it in my life. And you know that, that that's how it felt in the ground. I was in the upper main, which is usually a little bit, it can be a bit hit and miss for the atmosphere, but... Again, it was you who was there at all. You got back in the time for this one. Yeah, so um, so no, I, I think um, I think you know for that for that second goal, it's just it's like if you actually have a look at the at the highlights back, the, the cop goes absolutely mental for both those goals. It's one of those things where you see like footy limbs accounts on Twitter. <laughs> score, scoring two goals that quickly, that so close together, does really get the crowd up, doesn't it? I mean, I, I'm sorry, I read the paper this morning and it said Klopp afterwards mentioned Barcelona. Yeah, He mm. said that this is their, these players Barcelona. Mm. It's honestly, and it sounds bad because people will, people without thinking about it will scoff at it, I think. I scoff at it because it's Barcelona in a Champions League semi-final and it's Luton at Anfield with... Yeah, true enough. But it but again again it goes back to the context. We talked at the start of the show. 
the players that were out on the pitch and, and moreover the players who, who weren't available again it gets forgotten about Barcelona it wasn't just coming back from three down it was doing it without Salah and without Firmino and it, with Andy Robertson going off injured and, and you know there was so many factors against us on that night and this had that pre-kickoff of you know like 11 lads who could have all who could have all had a game for us last night in theory all are available for a variety of reasons. Some of the best players on the planet not available to us. And we put out a team and then to go that goal down and you get all your fears and your doubts start to creep in. And yet, and effectively, yet to do, a, a, okay, only a one goal turnaround, but to do it in 45 minutes. And that feeling of inevitable, Liverpool are inevitable when we got our head of steam going and you get the goal back and you're Van Dijk running away, back to the, not, not celebrating. And then the quickness which the second one comes, the, the the pandemonium on the cop was just yeah the difficulty in the comparison Andy is that the Barcelona one is so immediate because you know what you've done what you've done there is you've booked a place in the Champions League final and the, you can come and celebrate that you can come and line everyone up in front of the cop and sing you'll never walk alone wonderful we won't know how important this is for another week or two weeks or two months or two and a half months but my gut feeling on that is if you can if you can do that there, it's. I don't know what it's going to take to derail Liverpool. Is what I'm driving at. Yeah, and I think with the, with the Barcelona one as well, we had that that thing of that it was all or nothing for that season because Man City yeah. had just had that win against Leicester the night before, where Company scored as is the only goal he's ever scored from outside the box, and you're thinking, you know, we're going to get 97 points here, and we're going to come, ultimately come away with nothing, and who knows what the next season brings? Obviously, the next season ends up bringing the league, but I think the Champions League led into that. So I think it was that idea of like this is literally all or nothing, and with the league. It wouldn't have been the case, you know, we could have still beaten City and taken it back into our own hands, but it would have felt very much like, oh goodness me, Luton at home, probably the easiest game you have, notwithstanding Sheffield United at home until the end of the season. And we're going to drop the points here and we're going to lose it on this. And I think just everyone, once we got that first goal back, and I, I, to be fair, I think we needed to, because I think if that went on another 10 minutes without it, could the crowd have started to turn and started to think, actually, this is a serious reality that we're going to drop points now. I think we needed the goals at the time they came, um, but but yeah. You just need people, in that instance, again, it's the crowd, but the players, the synergy, you know, people stepping up collectively to go and make it happen. Virgil van Dijk, you know, again, just, just the pure determination to go and make that happen, to go and get that first goal. And then everyone's just goes absolutely nuts. They're all flowing forward towards this sort of one goal of, we're on three points. We want to go and make sure we get this. Because again, context for this, Dad, in fact, Aaron, can we just bring the graphic up again of the, of the team, of, of, of who's missing? Again, no Allison, no Bacetic, Reese Williams is in there, oh, obviously the middle was up, but no Matip, no Trent, no Jones, no Thiago, no Sabozlai, no Jota, no Nunes, no Salah for this game. And I get a lot of this, like, it's Luton, you should be beating Luton, blah, blah, blah. I get that, but also that's not how football works sometimes. Sometimes you can undercut the quality of what you've got. I um, I just felt an immense sense of pride and, and, and just and, and passion that came with it because... That this is the week where it should have all come undone because obviously we dropped points to Arsenal, which effectively put it back into Manchester City's hands a couple uh, the, the other week. The game in hand thing was, go, was about to come undone. So what was it going to happen with the weekend was City beat Chelsea and then they played their game in hand and that would have been it. You know, this was the week where Liverpool were supposed to go behind City mm. in the race for the title. 
And then, okay, you know, Chelsea take points off City. You think, well, that's a good thing. And then you lose all those players to injury off the back of a brilliant result of the weekend. And then this is the one. And then you know that you what happens at the weekend, you're probably coming back second in the league. And then you're chasing, you're chasing Man City. And instead... We're, we're clear top of the league. Also, the fact that the game was rearranged quite quickly. Yeah. We no, we wouldn't normally have played it. And, you know, City would have played their game in hand and we, we'd been left, you know, to, to wait until the weekend, you know, and that would have built up tension already. Suddenly we've got this game out of the blue and we've got no players to play it. And, you know, but I mean, we shouldn't forget, we've only lost two games all season and one of them... We know, obviously, we all know we didn't lose, yeah. and the other one was to Arsenal of all people when we had a bad day. Yeah. You know, so this team don't lose football matches, and it doesn't matter who's on the pitch. We don't lose football matches, yeah. uh, and I think the crowd need to re- try and remember that. You know, yeah. uh, that this this lot of players will give everything uh, and keep doing it every every week, and they might take a while to get going. Yeah, but going back to that second goal though, that. I mean, the the fact that McAllister takes up such a great position for the throw-in uh, and the cross was just phenomenal. It, yeah. it was at such pace. I could have headed it in. It's yeah. just, it just would have hit Gakpo's head and gone in anyway, the pace of it, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Just it, phenomenal. It was just one of them. And, and that's what I mean. It's it's tough. Look, Barcelona will live in, in infamy and, you know, and, and for me and everything in between, you know, in, in the history of the great Liverpool games. And again, because it's got that, you can immediately, there it's done. It, it took its place in history the second the full-time whistle went. We won't know how important this is for another few months yet Andy but I, my general feeling on this is if Liverpool manage to do have an historic end of the season and whether that's winning the league or we're picking up another trophy or any trophies this is just going to be this, this. I think they'll be able to pin by I think when you ask Klopp when Klopp gets interviewed about this season they'll still all talk about this game I think. do you know what I think it was actually quite similar to it was uh when we go for the, the nearly quadruple season, are we playing Norwich at home in around March and we end up winning 3-1, but we go 1-0 down and they're bottom of the league by a mile at that point. And it's that same panic of we're going <laughs> to drop points to the worst team in the league. This is all going to be derailed to the worst team in the league. And Anfield similarly feral that day. And like I remember that being one of the best atmospheres of that season. But we're just, we're such an emotional crowd. And that's, for the large part, that drives the players on. It means we have those, it's responsible for those European nights. It's responsible for nights like last night. And you've opposition managers coming out saying the crowd sucks it in. But then sometimes like it, it, you know, it has its downsides. And it, you know, the one I always remember last day of that season against Wolves when we're drawing one each and the news comes through that City have gone 2-0 down and I remember like we can see this stupid corner and I've never seen the cops so angry in my life <laughs> and Robertson turns around to us and tells us to effing calm down yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um, and he was right too so you, you get all the good stuff you get all the you get the atmosphere you get the sucking the ball into the net but you do also get the, the other crowd, side the of it the crowd live on their nerves don't yeah. they I mean everyone knows it's City are now coming strong and it's all a little precarious and you know, everyone's worried to death, and they're, they're, you know they're only happy when we're winning. Yeah, because then they can relax a little bit. You yeah. know, people people want certainty in football, and football can't give you certainty because it's 
there's 22 people all doing their own thing on a pitch or being dictated to by another team of people and a team of people behind them uh, under the influence of however many tens of thousands of people are all screaming their emotions at them at the, at the same time. We'd all like to know that it's going to work out all right, but we can't. So, you know, there's just something to when you see the players out there really go and give their all. And that was the thing, you know, it was it was against the odds and, it's, and it will sound odd without the context to say Liverpool-Luton isn't against the, the odds game, but that was... That was the nature of where that where that team was at, where that squad was at. And look at the players that we end up bringing on. You know, there was no one on the bench there. There were no game changes on the bench for Liverpool all, all of a sudden. And to be able to drag that through and not just drag it through. I thought 2-1 would have been an, an amazing Andy victory. Andy to, to did his best to be a game yeah, changer. Yeah, 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 I mean, he was terrific when yeah. he came on. I mean, I've never been his, you know, his biggest fan in recent years. But, you know, what, what I've seen him, you know, recently, he really is determined well, you, to... That's what you need. And that's, yeah. what, that's what matters a lot in these kind of situations. So, yeah, let us know. Where does it rank? If it's, is it better than Barca? And if not, where does it rank? in the great Anfield nights. There you go. Before you do go, though, let me tell you, we've got an amazing offer. If you go to redmanplus.com, use the code FINAL, F-I-N-A-L. You can get half price of a yearly Redman Plus subscription in the countdown to Liverpool's Carabao Cup final against Chelsea. That code expires at midnight on Sunday. So fill your boots with all of the content that we've described here, as well as our podcast documentaries, features, and interviews to get you in the mood for Wembley. The code is final. Fill your boots.